When you read the headline, Wall Street Will Die, it catches your attention. I read it in American Greatness. It's a publication I follow. It's led by my friend Chris Buzkirk. And the article, Wall Street Will Die, was written by Dr. Theodore Malik and Nicholas Capaldi. It's well-written. It's frightening. And sadly, it's in line with what we're seeing. Now, Ted Roosevelt Malik is the CEO of Roosevelt Global Fiduciary LLC. He served as a research professor for the Spiritual Capital Initiative at Yale University, senior fellow said business school at Oxford University, and professor of governance and leadership at Henley Business School, where he co-led the Directors Forum. His most recent books concern the nature of virtuous enterprise, the practices of practical wisdom and virtuous business, the pursuit of happiness, the virtues of generosity and thrift. His latest book is Common Sense Business, co-authored with Whitney McMillan, firm, former chairman and CEO of Cargill, the world's largest privately held company. This guy served on the executive board of the World Economic Forum, you know, Davos. He's held an ambassador-level position at the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland. He's worked in the U.S. State Department and Senate. He's done capital markets at Solomon Brothers on Wall Street. He sat on a number of corporate, mutual fund, and not-for-profit boards. He was also active in the Trump campaign of 2016. And American Greatness runs his weekly opinion column. He's earned his PhD in international political economy from the University of Toronto and took his BA from Gordon College and an MLIT from the University of Aberdeen on a St. Andrews Fellowship. So I want to welcome this guy. He's been around the world. He's seen from the inside the great you know, World Economic Forum and the inner workings of our government and Wall Street. So he's really a smart guy. And I want to welcome Dr. Malik. Welcome to the Economic War Room. It's really great to be with you. Thank you for what you're doing. Well, how in the world does somebody go from the WEF and the State Department to being a part of getting Donald Trump elected president and then writing for American Greatness? Well, the long story on that would be my memoir, Davos, Aspen, and Yale, my uh, story behind the elite curtain as a global Sherpa, as Margaret Thatcher once called me. Uh, and it is a long and sordid tale, but it means I've been in all those places. I know how that system works, and therefore, I'm very dangerous to them. I bet you are. And then you write this topic, Wall Street Will Die which you know, I, I've been in the investment industry. I've got a chartered financial analyst designation. I worked for John Templeton for a decade. I've been through all of this. And then you tell me Wall Street will die. I mean, that's like telling me the world's going to end. Well, um, I was very pleased to hear that word, John Templeton. I served as his advisor. I served on his board and his foundation gave me a rather large sums of money to do research over the years. So we have that in common. But this is a frightening article. I mean to frighten people, uh, and I think we have to look at this change that is frankly coming about. We're not there yet, but it's coming about, and last year was the beginning of something. And there is, in fact, the possibility that it will no longer be uh, valuable, expected, or even profitable to invest in companies. Well, you know, tell us about what Wall Street should be like. I mean, when I grew up with Templeton and he built the Templeton Growth Fund and, and then I went to work for him, we built the private client group in the 1990s and brought global investing in. Used to be you could, you could invest and you'd have a good savings and retirement program and the companies were trying to make money so that you got dividends and, and stock appreciation. So how's it supposed to work? Well, 
John Templeton, Peter Lynch, uh, Warren Buffett, other great investors, you know, laid out those strategies and there were uh, very worthwhile revisiting. It, were, it wasn't, uh, as you recall, a get-rich-quick scheme. It was a slow and patient kind of investment over time. You invest in appreciable stocks, bonds, primarily stocks, and the entire economic system, the one that we're talking about that you played in, was focused on growth. It was, it was, it was designed to bring together creative people who lacked resources with people who had those resources. And in fact, that was the genius of the entire U.S. market economy. And there was, I would argue, for decades upon decades. They used to watch Sir John on Wall Street Week with Lou Rukeyser as a child, my mother taking notes on what he would say. You could hear the pin drop. Uh, it used to be that you could run those uh, kinds of um, market plays over the long term, and the market would go up and it would go down, but over the long term, it would always grow. The system wasn't collapsing, it wasn't crashing, it wasn't going down forever. Prosperity uh, was made by buying and holding a diverse portfolio of value stocks. And those who understood that and could see the value did well over a generation and passed that on to their heirs. Uh, it was a very, very successful formula. And lots of companies were involved. Lots of private companies were involved. Mutual funds, as uh, you mentioned, were involved. Uh, some countries around the world tried to copy that system. Some did better than others. But being uh, buying and holding in a patient fashion, I would say, over the long term, was always the way to prosperity. Yeah, that was the American dream because you didn't have to start rich. You didn't even have to have a massive salary. If you put enough aside on a weekly basis and cost dollar averaged and, and did all of that, you, you could actually make a very nice life for yourself, for your family, and for your heirs. And that was a system because Wall Street was based on serving the shareholder. You know, back to old Milton Friedman, uh, you know, what's the goal of the board of directors is to serve the interest of the stockholder, the shareholder, and to maximize profits for the shareholder. That, that's unfortunately seemed to change. It's changed dramatically. Hayek, of course, who we appreciate long ago, said the market economy is not a mechanical system that can be predicted, but you can bet that over time the market will go up because the entire economy is geared for growth. That means that general strategy will work in the long term, uh, and it did. But now, and I would say last year was an indicator, it's the trigger for the down, uh, and the market was massively down last year, as you know, all, all of the markets worldwide, but particularly our U.S. market. It has changed. Something has changed. And what has changed is, frankly, that... Uh, creative destruction of the entrepreneur is no longer adored, is no longer respected, is no longer invested in. And what we have is a system now of radical socialism, I would call it woke socialism, that wants to eat the cow. Yep. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about creative destruction and let's talk about how we can keep the cow alive. Dr. Malik, we've been talking before the break, we were talking about what the American dream was and how people could invest in that. But something drastically changed, and we saw it happen, uh, impact the market last year. Tell us about that. 
Well, I would say historically Republicans have always been focused primarily on growth, what I call the liberty narrative. Democrats, meanwhile, have focused on maldistribution of wealth. As you know, there's been a conflict between these rival elites for leadership in America, one more entrepreneurial, business-oriented versus professional politicians, actually what have become permanent politicians, a political class, and bureaucrats, and their academic elites who favor the therapeutic state. There are very few of us academics, frankly, from the Republican side, and certainly in the leading institutions. What has changed is that the Democrats are now prepared to sacrifice growth in favor of distribution, what they used to call equality, and they now refer to equity. They want equal outcomes, and that changes the entire narrative. Yeah, you actually use the example of we've got cows, they're producing milk or meat, but they want to kill the cows, the dairy cows, and divide up the cow. Tell us about that. Well, I, I think that the, the present permanent and overriding crisis for the Democrats, of course, is the environment, global warming, uh, climate change, you know, whatever Davos expression is popular this weekend. You can actually listen to Klaus Schwab, he's on TV yesterday talking about how he wants to master all of us. Uh, the survival of the human race does not depend uh, or require infinite long-term growth according to this view, in fact, the opposite. Uh, I, I think most of them think that survival is incompatible with growth. So this takes us back to the limits of growth argument published in 1971 by the Club of Rome, uh, all of which was based on a faulty MIT model. And we want now, in the words of the ESG crowd and the Davos crowd, to do away with the lifestyle of the American middle class and our standards of living. And that means killing the American dream. Well, and, and what you said there is that one viewpoint wants to take us back to where we were before 1820, when the American dream really took off, where growth was less than one-tenth of one percent per year for 2,000 years, and has been massively higher since then, and they want to return us to that, but that's a return to poverty. I mean, I, I look at Bono's statement recently, when Bono's uh, talking about it, he says, you know, I used to believe we should just distribute things better, but now I've come to realize that free market capitalism is the only way to end poverty in the world. What you're telling me is the Davos crowd really wants to reinstitute poverty, even though they're not admitting that. Well, Bono is at Davos every year, as are, uh, you know, the Gateses and the Soroses and, uh, and Larry Finks. So it, it would be good if he would uh, amplify that message at Davos where they need to hear it, because that's, that's not what Davos is about. Davos is about stakeholder capitalism. I would argue it's not about capitalism at all. It's about an elite ruling the world in a form of globalism, and they have no interest in markets whatsoever. They have no worship or no valuation put on this Schumpeterian idea of creative destruction and the role, the critical role of the entrepreneur in that process. Now, quite the opposite. They want socialism. They would like a democratic form of socialism, but they want to be at the top of that pyramid. So this is not a temporary limit on economic growth, you know, a pause or a relaxation of, uh, uh, let's say, some appetite or animal spirits. No, this is the end of the dream. And as a consequence, I would say 
and this is what I wrote, the end of the stock market itself. Why would anyone, I mean, you think about the people that you know and have invested with and some of these uh, stock market gurus even, why would anyone invest if there's no chance to profit, if profit is a negative concept? If you couldn't see your investment grow, why would you put your money in anything? You might as well put it into your mattress. Uh, so I think Wall Street doesn't want to admit it, but in a thoroughly socialist stakeholder economy, there's no need or reason for stocks. Uh, over time, companies cease to exist, the market is dictated, and the state through its regulatory bureaucracies ends up controlling everything. A very dire uh, situation. I hope we can avoid it. Yeah, it sounds like Italian fascism. It sounds like Occupy Wall Street put on a business suit and then marched into the White House and the regulatory agencies. Well, I like those examples. Unfortunately, that, that could be just the case. But if you went, and I've taught at major business schools, so I'm saying this again from the inside. If you go to those business schools, this is more or less the curriculum. So it's what our MBAs are being spoon-fed. So is this the Gramsci long march to the institutions? They've gotten to academia, they've gotten to the business schools finally. They're now getting to the engineering schools, which is shocking to me because if two plus two doesn't equal four in, in engineering, bridges fail, people die. Well, Antonio Gramsci, of course, uh, you're referring to uh, the Italian communist theorist, uh, was quite insightful in his view that it would take maybe even a few generations to get the socialism. Uh, it, it wasn't Marx's proletarian revolution that would happen, you know, simultaneously in an overthrow of the government by a vanguard or proletariat of the elite. So, yes, and it's quite interesting. I don't know if you knew this, but our secretary of the transportation, who, of whom I think very little, his father is actually the world's expert on Antonio Gramsci. And he was schooled at the knee of that theory. And now he's the, what, third or fourth most prominent democratic politician. It's unbelievable, and he's completely incompetent, apparently, or it's on purpose to destroy the economy. I can't tell which, but it seems like total incompetence uh, from uh, Secretary Buttigieg. Well, he couldn't fill the potholes in a small city in Indiana, so he might as well be promoted to such a prominent position where the FAA and all the other critical infrastructure reports through him. But this is not about him, but it is about that view, that idea that over time, in a long-term swing, we can move our capitalist economy, one which, as you say, from the 1800s, moved us in the direction of living longer, living better, living more prosperous lives, not just in the United States, but in many places around the world. That uh, scenario is coming to an end. Yeah, it's very sad. And it's something that we're fighting against, that the, we think we're in an economic war, that's a form of economic warfare. We're battling that for free market capitalism, individual liberty, and all of those things here in the economic world. So we're gonna have to take another break. But when we come back, I'd like to address some solutions, some of the things we can do it. I heard you give a speech recently, and you listed seven things, and they were powerful. And I agreed with every one of them. So let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Mallet.
So we're back with Dr. Malik, who's so brilliant that he was invited to the inside in Davos. And you know, he's highly respected in the academic community. He's highly respected. He's written 18 books. Uh, he, we have a connection through Sir John Marks Templeton, who, who wrote the foreword for one of his books. I mean, just, tr just tremendous getting to know you, Dr. Malik. But you laid out a serious problem. If you don't have Wall Street and individual liberty and free market capitalism, you don't have a reason for America. America doesn't exist, we just disappear. So it's existential for our future as Americans. So we've got the problem, how do we fix it? Well, it took us a long time to get here and I don't think it can be fixed in a snap of the fingers. Uh, part of the fix, obviously, has to do with our political institutions. Part of it has to do with our overregulation and the need to deregulate. And I think a large part of it has to do with what I would call our moral ecology or moral and ethical attitudes. Uh, and I'm very sympathetic to the work of someone like uh, uh, Michael Novak, who, uh, of course, wrote about this in the spirit of democratic capitalism. And I've written about it, of course, over my entire career. If you don't have the moral values that make possible our economic system, i.e. the capitalist system that we've come to appreciate in American history, which is unique and it was there at the beginning of American history. And the founders knew this. I mean, Alexander Hamilton wrote about it in detail. And we have practiced that down the ages. Uh, if we don't really revisit teach that in our civics classes, teach that again in our Sunday school. So it'd be nice if somebody attended Sunday school again. Uh, if we don't do that, then I think we're doomed to failure. Well, you mentioned that it's from the beginning. I mean, Adam Smith didn't just write The Wealth of Nations. He wrote the theory on moral sentiments. He was a moral philosopher. So it's absolutely, and in fact, I, we write about that and talk about that. We call it the economic war of the heart. Uh, Jesus said, if you're not faithful with your unrighteous mammon, you'll never be trusted with true riches. And basically, we've got to get that part right, that heart part right, before we can win the other battles that we're facing. Yes. So it's not just an academic uh, exercise, though, as much as I've been <laughs> at night in that battle. It's also a matter of practice. And uh, one of my books called uh, Doing Virtuous Business uh, was made into a, a documentary, a PBS documentary, actually. 15 million people had the chance to see it. In it, we cataloged 60 companies that embraced these virtues of capitalism and how they did that. Each one unique, each one distinctive, really difficult to duplicate because they all have their own corporate cultures, but they did it. And those stories need to be told, retold. Those stories are being replicated every day, week in, week out, by small and medium-sized enterprises, some of which get to be big enterprises. And we need more of those enterprises. Well, one of the things we're doing here in the Economic War Room is we're educating uh, the investor, but we're also training financial advisors at Liberty University uh, to not focus on ESG, environment, social governance, which is a grab bag of leftist propaganda agendas, much of which is just a scam, but to focus instead on LSV, liberty, security, and values. So individual liberty, security, which could be personal or national security, and Judeo-Christian Western civilization values. Well, I'm very glad to hear about this because it, it, it's in fact uh, much needed. 
I would refer your listeners to an article I wrote a couple months ago called ESG is a scam. <laughs> so you said it, I said it at, at great length, and I explain how it is a scam, how it's dictated, manufactured, and concocted, and how trillions and trillions of dollars now has been moved in that direction, university endowments and many investors, and we need to free ourselves from that bondage. Well, no question. In fact, it's de devastatingly destructive to American uh, independence and liberty because it was defunding all of the energy development that we had here in the United States. And so we became energy independent under the Trump administration, and now we defund that. We cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Banks no longer want to lend money to energy companies, so energy companies can't get capital to grow and expand. It, it really is not just a scam. It's a very deadly scam. It is. And the energy uh, sector, of course, is a critical one because it's a throttle for the whole economy. So they are strategic in what they have done, or in this case, even undone. So we need to bring back uh, the, you know, the policies of the, of the previous administration. And I'm very happy to see you know, Governor DeSantis take this on, you know, just head on in the state of Florida. So we need people like him and others. Governors are actually quite capable of doing this, but we also need some spokespersons on Wall Street some CEOs of big firms who say, we're not gonna be dictated by these eco-terrorists. No, fantastic, and, and the governors can do it, the state treasurers can do it, the secretaries of state can do it, they're defunding and removing funds from BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, if they go against the principles and the benefits and the needs of the state. So that, the, the tremendous movement. If we can train 10,000 financial advisors, we estimate we'll weaponize a trillion dollars of financial capital, which is a drop in the bucket compared to ESG, but I think it's a pretty good start. It is, and, it, and it, it's something that has to be taken on head on. So we probably need a counter Davos at some point in time to make our arguments. Well, we're starting with the middle class and starting with the investor because that's what they're trying to kill. Uh, that's the one that's in the in the crosshairs. But we would love to invite you, Dr. Malik, to be a part of the National Security Investment Consultant Institute. Come and, and speak at one of our events or be online when we have our, uh, our training is done online at Liberty University. But we have an open call, a Zoom call on Fridays. We'd love to have you available to answer questions and, and just dialogue with some of these financial advisors. Because their clients, we've done the surveys. The clients want something that's good for their family and good for their country. They don't want ESG. Correct. And in the end, as I suggest, hopefully uh, this does not come to fruition. If we follow this dictate of woke stakeholder activity, which is really radical, democratic, maybe not so democratic, elitist uh, socialism, we will end in a situation where there are no stocks to invest in. There are no companies. When the Soviet Union took over Eastern Europe after the Second World War, the first thing they did was to get rid of the stock market. The second thing they did was override through regulation all of the companies through the GAS plan, through the central planning. The third thing they did, and this was very interesting, of course, and it has to do with the ideology around secularism, was to cancel all charity. Wow. Well, that just 
kills the poor and the middle class and enriches the elite. It's frightening. Dr. Malik, thank you so much for being part of the Economic War Room. Pleasure to be with you. Now, we're going to take uh, what Dr. Malik has shared with us, and we're going to put it in our economic battle plan. That's a free PDF document. It could be 30 pages, it could be 50 pages, but it'll summarize what we talked about. Then it will add to it uh, action steps, things you can do to change, whether it's invest or, or find a financial advisor or whatever you can do to help save America. Remember, what we see as a marketplace our enemies view as a battle space. You can get your free economic battle plan at economicwarroom.com. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.